I invite you to turn over just a bit in your Bibles now to Paul's letter to the Philippians. This morning we'll be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. As we've been walking through this part of Philippians the last couple of weeks, I've been reminded again and again of just how packed this section of Scripture is. Uh, Some of you here have even shared with me about the impact this section of Scripture has had on your life over the years. And it's easy to see why the more that we're in the text together. I don't have any doubt that this is one of the richest sections of Scripture that Paul ever wrote, as it lays out Paul's vision for the church, but also as it draws us again and again to the gospel and especially to Christ. So today and next Sunday, we're going to be finishing this part of the letter. And my plan is to, again, walk slowly through the text, so we really have time to think about what Paul's saying. So so we're going to look at verses 12 to 18 of chapter 2 today, but my plan is to actually focus on just the first two verses, Philippians 2, 12 to 13, and and as we get into those verses, I think you'll be able to see why. Those two verses are some of the most important in the entire New Testament about how the Christian life actually works, about our role and God's role in us living for Christ. But before we read the text, I want to I scan back through a little bit of what we've been in. So, so if you have your Bible, open it up. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Okay, the section goes from there all the way to chapter 2, verse 18. Okay, if you look at chapter 1, 27, you might remember the first command. It's the, it's the first command in the letter, and it's really the key command of all of these these verses. That's where Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then Paul describes a bit of what that would would look like, and one of the things he touches on is the need for unity inside the church. That's what it would look like for us to live worthy of the gospel. What would show that we think the gospel is valuable and powerful is if we live together as one. This is where you maybe remember the picture Paul paints of brothers and sisters standing firm, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, pushing forward for the advance of the gospel. Paul then picks up on that call to unity and develops it in Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4. You might remember verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy in your hearts, Paul says, fulfill my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. And then Paul talks about how you get there. Like, what does it take for a church to be unified? Unity comes through humility and selflessness. And then this is where Paul then points us directly to Christ, to the mind of Christ. That's the deep and awesome text we were in last week, chapter 2, verses 6 to 11 about the humility, obedience, and exaltation of Christ. Okay, now that leads into our text today. So I'm going to read verses 12 through 18 of chapter 2. So take a look. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, now that's the whole text. And I just want to begin with one observation about the passage. And then we're going to focus in on the first two verses. So the one thing I want to highlight, and I'm not sure if you would have picked it up or not, just from a read-through, but is that there is a clear progression in that text that I read from more general teaching in verses 12 and 13 to more specific application in verse 14 and following. I don't know if you, you saw that, but take a, take a look at the text again. Can you see how Paul moves from more general teaching about the Christian life in verses 12 and 13 to very specific application starting in verse 14? Okay, and that, that is what I want to do this week and next week. Okay? I want to today help us to think more clearly about the Christian life in general. And then next week, we'll listen carefully to Paul's specific words of application, especially about complaining and contentment. Okay? So uh, now since we're going to be talking about the Christian life as a whole today, I want to start with a few questions for you to think about. I want to know what your take is on the Christian experience. How do you envision life as a Christian? So a couple questions. As Christians... Are we, are we responsible to run after Jesus? Are we responsible to say no to sin and to chase after holiness? Or to come at this from another angle. You might think, I, I know the answer to that one. Okay, but I want to come at that from another angle. Are we active in the process of sanctification? Or are we passive? in the process. Or from one more angle, does God want us and call us to work hard at following Jesus? Or does God want us to sit back and enjoy the ride? To simply let go and to let God do it all for us. How does the New Testament talk about those things? What's your take on that aspect of the Christian life? Okay, Then the second kind of category of questions. Okay. As Christians, I think we'd admit that we have at least the desire to do what is right. Right? Yes. Okay. Do we have the ability to do what is right? And I'm not asking if we're going to, act, you know, to be able to do right all of the time as though we're going to reach a state here where we would never sin. I'm simply asking, do we as Christians have only the desire within us to do what is right? Or do we have both the desire and the ability to actually obey Christ in real life, in real hard circumstances? How does the New Testament talk about that? 
What's your take on that aspect of the Christian life? Okay? Now I could keep asking a lot more questions like this, and I actually really like to do that. And having been a full-time teacher for a long time, uh, I love to ask a lot of questions and then just let the bell ring and walk away. You know? But that doesn't actually work very well in a church context like in a sermon. So, so the good news is that today's text is one of the most helpful in the whole Bible on those questions, and it's only two verses long. Okay? So go ahead, and we're going to look back at the text and dig deeper into verses 12 and 13. Okay, so look at verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the main call in the text today. The call to keep on obeying Christ. Or as Paul says in the second half of the verse, keep on working out your salvation. Now, we're going to focus on that last phrase about working out our salvation in a moment. But I want to look closer at the beginning of the verse. And pay attention to the two words. The words, therefore, and the word obeyed. Okay. All right. Now, the therefore shows us that this call is directly connected to that poem about Christ okay, that came right before this. Okay. And once you start to think that in that direction, what you might realize is that that poem about Christ also talked a lot about obedience, okay? So think about it. That poem is about the humble obedience of Christ, right? And the second part of it, of the poem, this is right before it. I'm, tra- I'm talking about chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. The second part of it is about the exaltation of Christ to the seat of highest honor, Now, what I want to do is I want to think about the connection between that and this text, okay, verse 12. Because he uses therefore, it's clearly connected to it. What is the connection between what Paul said there about Christ and what Paul says here to us about obedience? For one thing, Christ is the only perfect example of obedience, He fully obeyed his father his entire life. In fact, as Paul said in the poem, Christ obeyed all the way to death, even death on a cross. So this call to us to obey is simply a call to follow in the footsteps of our Lord. But that's not the only connection between the poem and our text. Because think about what the poem showed us about Christ. It did not just show us his humility and his cross. It also showed us the exaltation, majesty, power, and authority of Christ. Remember, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance to him, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, now think about it. Okay? If Christ has that kind of authority and power, what should we do in response to him? Obey. Obey. Obey everything he says. Okay? So obedience to Christ in our verse, is grounded in the victory and power of Christ in the previous verses. All right, now, 
And then notice in verse 12 that obeying is exactly what the Philippians had already been doing. From the first day they came to know Christ until this day. That's what Paul says in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Now, that would be really nice to hear that said about you. Uh, as you have always obeyed. And I want to be clear. I don't think Paul is saying, I know he's not saying, that they have never sinned even one time in the last 12 years. Okay? After all, Paul will address some problems in the church later in the letter. Okay? And there is, of course, no church or no Christian who never sins. But what he is saying is that this church has truly obeyed Christ for 12 years, from the beginning until this day. They saw Christ not only as their Savior from their sins, but as the Lord and King of their lives. And because of that, their lives have been marked for 12 years by real-life obedience to Christ, often in really hard circumstances. Okay? And this should help us see in verse 12 <clears throat> that Paul is not calling them to something new in the text. He's calling them to keep on doing what they've already been doing. Therefore, as you have always obeyed, so now keep working out your salvation. Okay. Now, I hope this has already helped us start to understand what Paul means in that key line Work out your own salvation. This is another way to say, keep on obeying Christ. The things are synonymous in the text. It's, as you have always obeyed Christ, so now keep on working out your salvation. Okay, that's, that's what's going on here. But, but certainly, that, the way Paul phrases this grabs our attention, and it has caused some consternation to people. Because any time we see the word work and the word salvation, and there's not like a big word not or something, like in between them or something, uh, it, it causes us some angst you know, in our hearts. Okay? That is understandable. After all, it is basically a given in every religion other than Christianity that we are supposed to work for our salvation. As I would just say up front, that Paul's not saying that uh, in this text. He is not telling his dear friends who've been following Jesus for 12 years, start working for your salvation or try to earn it. Okay, now, why not? For one thing, they are already saved in the text. Okay. Paul is talking about the salvation that they already possess, and he's calling them to work out your salvation. For another thing, if Paul were saying that, like work for your salvation, I think the Philippian jailer, if he were still alive, would be like, wait a second. Didn't you tell me? I asked you a question about that 12 years ago. I asked you, what must I do to be saved? And you told me, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Okay, that would be another reason. For another thing, it's hard to think of something less like Paul than for him to say, work for your salvation. Like, work, try to earn it. Okay. Like, that would be like Paul telling a bunch of Gentiles, you know what? Let's get y'all circumcised. <laughs> They'd be like, that would completely contradict everything Paul stood for. 
and taught in his ministry. Okay? So all in all, Paul's not telling his friends to start working for their salvation. Salvation throughout his writings is entirely the gift of God. God does not owe it to anyone. He, we do not earn it. It is granted to us by God as an act of his grace. And by the way, Paul just said this in Philippians in the very last use of the word salvation. Okay? Look at chapter 1, verse 28. Paul says there that our endurance, like when we're being opposed, is a sign to our opponents of their destruction, but of our salvation. And then he adds, and that is from God. All right. So salvation is entirely the work of God, completely the gift of God. It's not something we can earn. So then what is Paul saying? If he's not saying to work for our salvation, what is he saying? This is the call to Christians to live like Christians. The NLT says it this way in verse 12. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now, that might be a little more interpretation in the translation than I would maybe do myself, but that gets the idea out pretty clearly. Paul is calling us to work hard to show the results of our salvation. Okay, and this text should be a reminder to us that genuine trust in Christ and real obedience to Christ always go hand in hand in the Bible. <clears throat> in fact, in Romans, Paul will describe his entire mission from Jesus in this way. He says, Christ has called me to bring Gentiles to obedient faith. That is his whole mission. Okay, and here in Philippians, in a letter to his dear friends, he continues to make that call. The call, the call to keep on obeying the one they swore their allegiance to 12 years ago. Okay? Now, and then notice how Paul calls us to obey Christ or to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, those two words, I don't think we would expect those words. Like if I gave you a fill-in-the-blank thing and say, okay, we should obey Christ with blank and blank. What would you put in those blanks? I, I was thinking about this. I think I would probably say, we are to obey Christ with love in our hearts <clears throat> and joy or something like this. Okay? And that would be great. And I think Paul would like that too. Okay? But here, he, he highlights something we can easily forget. And that is that we should remember the glory and the majesty of Christ. That, I think that's what this is about. Paul is not telling us we should dread Jesus. Like, that is just not how he felt about Jesus. Read Philippians. Okay? Paul loved Jesus. He rejoiced in Jesus. He's not saying to, to dread Jesus. But Paul is reminding us of something about Christ, and that is that Christ is Lord, the exalted king of the world. And so this is a call to follow him with Respect, to, to remember his glory and your weakness and that we don't really have a right on, in ourselves to even be near him. It is a call to obey him with a sense of awe 
and reverence for him. And that's why I had us read Psalm 2 earlier. I almost think that Paul's call here, those words, are sourced in Psalm 2 because Psalm 2 talks about, do you remember it? The exaltation of God's Son as Lord of the world. Okay? And then what's the application in the psalm? So serve the Lord with, do you remember? Fear and rejoice with trembling. It's the same, it's the exact same, same words. So I think Paul's doing something pretty similar here. Since Christ has been exalted as Lord of all lords and all lands, obey him with a sense of fear and with a bit of trembling. Now, if verse 12 was all that Paul wrote, we would still be fully responsible to obey this. After all, Christ demands our obedience and completely deserves it. But just imagine, like look at your text and imagine if Paul stopped in verse 12. Like imagine if there was no verse 13. That's what I'm trying to get at here. If, if Paul just said, as you have always obeyed, so now, keep on living out your salvation with fear and trembling. That would be totally fine for Paul to say that. We would need to obey that. Christ would be worthy of that. But I actually think, from spending a lot of time with Paul, that that would be very unlike Paul to end there. Because Paul gives a lot of commands and calls in his letters, but he usually doesn't stop with it. He usually adds something else to encourage the people that he loves about what he just said. And, and look at this text. Okay, look, at, look at verse 12, and let's read it into verse 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in verse 12, we're called to work out our own salvation. But in the same breath, we're reminded that we can work out because it is God who works in us both the willing and the ability to do his will. And that is one of the greatest pictures in the New Testament of the Christian life. We are fully responsible to work hard to show the results of our salvation, but we can work hard only because God is already powerfully working in us to run and to work. We are supposed to feel the weight and responsibility of the commands in the New Testament. Any teaching that like, tries to free us from feeling any weight of the things Jesus said or called us to is not good teaching. We are to feel the weight of responsibility that's being placed on us to live for Jesus, to walk worthy of the gospel, or as Paul says here, to work out our own salvation. But we are always to remember that we are never on our own. 
to do that. God is with us, in us, for us, and he richly provides to his children all that we need to obey. And notice in the text that Paul is very clear that God grants us both the desire and the ability to obey. Okay, and I think this is a really important message of hope for Christians today because I think there is a feeling sometimes, maybe we just think of it because of our own failures or maybe we pick this up through various teaching, but I think there is a feeling sometimes that all we can ever do as Christians is fail. There can be a tendency to think that even though we have desires to obey, our entire lives will be characterized by the lack of ability to ever do the things we desire for Jesus. And that is absolutely not how Paul talks about the Christian life. That is not how he thinks about the Christian life. Now, certainly, left on our own, like, okay, if we could be left entirely on our own, we have no chance to actually live how God has called us to live. But that's the whole point of the New Testament about this. We are not on our own. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. We are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us. And here in our text today, we see that God himself is actively working in us, giving us day by day both the desire and the ability to obey Christ. And Paul concludes verse 13 with this beautiful thought that our obedience brings God great pleasure. God is such a good father. He delights to give his children all that they need. And God loves to see us run. God loves to see his beloved children obeying his beloved son. God is working in us so that we might will and work for his good pleasure. Now, having, thought, having walked through that pretty carefully, let me run back through a couple questions I asked. As Christians, are we responsible to run after Jesus? Should we feel that? Yes. Are we active or passive in the process of sanctification? Active. Does God want us to run after Jesus or to just sit back and enjoy the ride? God wants us to run after the Lord we love, to walk, to take steps, to walk by the Spirit. And God wants us to press on side by side, shoulder to shoulder for the faith of the gospel. This is how the New Testament talks. This is how Paul talks everywhere about this. Other questions. Do we, as Christians, have only the desire to do what is right? Or do we, as Christians, have both the desire and the ability to actually obey Christ in real life and in real hard circumstances? Again, I want to be clear. If we were talking about if we were left completely on our own, we, of course, don't have what it takes. But that is the good news of the New Testament. We are not on our own. We are never alone. 
Christ is with us. The Spirit is in us, and God is actively working in us both the desire and the ability to actually obey in real life. And, and we read that text in Colossians earlier today as well. This is an example of how Paul talks about this. When he talks about his ministry, this is from Colossians chapter 1, he says, I go around everywhere proclaiming Christ so that I can present everyone mature in Christ. And then he says, and I struggle and fight for this with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. This is how he talks. Or if you go and look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says a pretty astonishing thing. He says, among the apostles, I worked harder than all of them, yet it was not I, but the grace of God that was at work in me. This is how the New Testament talks. We can work out our own salvation because God is powerfully working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so let these words today be a reminder to us to keep on obeying Christ. Now, we haven't gotten into specifics really today, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Spirit of God presses in on our hearts about something specific. So I would say if there's an area in your life that you know Christ is pressing on you about, calling you to obey in a hard thing, the only right thing to do is obey Christ. Always. As you have always obeyed, so now keep working out your own salvation. And then let these words today also be an encouragement to us that we have real hope of changing, of growing, of obeying. That hope is not in ourselves. It's not in our energy, in our power, in our self-determination or self-discipline. But we have hope grounded in something far better and stronger. Our hope is this, the God who made us, saved us, and loves us still is powerfully at work among us and in us to give us both the desire and the ability to follow the son he loves. And we can thank God for that. And I think for many of us who maybe have struggled with feeling like we just cannot ever see any change in our lives, we need to look at texts like this and remind ourselves that we are not alone. If we were left on our own, we would have no power to change. But God never leaves us alone. He is at work in you to change you and to grow. And so let us run with confidence and faith in him. Let's pray. Father, please help us through a sermon like this to get things clearer in our minds about the Christian life that we might live with hope and confidence in you that we might take real steps of obedience, of denying worldly lust and saying yes to Christ. I pray that you would 
help any of us who might have succumbed to just sorrow and despair. That you would remind us that you you'd never leave us alone. That you are fully committed to make us like Jesus. And I pray that for our body. Lord, I thank you that I can say that we, my brothers and sisters, have I have seen obedience. Lord, help us to keep on obeying Christ with fear, trembling, joy, love. In his name we pray. Amen.